This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, November 18th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. President Trump pays a visit to the sites of California's deadliest and most destructive fires in history. To see what's happened here, nobody would have ever thought this could have happened. We'll get an update from California Governor Jerry Brown, who was at the president's side during Saturday's visit. Does seeing this devastation, though, change your opinion at all on climate change, Mr. President? No, no. I have a strong opinion. I want great climate. We're going to have that, and we're going to have forests that are very safe. Then the president disputes reports that the CIA concluded Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman ordered the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, they haven't assessed anything yet. It's too early. That was a very premature report, but uh, that's possible. We're going to see, but we're going to have a report on Tuesday and it'll be very complete. In the meantime, we're doing things to some people that we know for a fact were involved and uh, we're being very tough on a lot of people. We'll talk with Kentucky Republican Rand Paul, who says the administration is not being tough enough. He's urging more action against the country the president calls a truly spectacular ally when it comes to jobs. Plus, the 116th Congress. What's ahead for the administration with Democrats controlling investigations in the House? The likely chairman of a key committee, Maryland's Elijah Cummings, will tell us. Iowa Senator Joni Ernst will also be here. She's now part of the Republican leadership team. And as incoming freshmen visit Washington in advance of the new Congress, we'll hear what unites them and how their diversity could impact future legislation. It's all ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. There's a lot of news in Washington, but we begin with an update on the California fires, where there's been some containment, but the number of dead and missing continues to rise. Officials place the death toll in the campfire in Northern California at 76 and say that at this point, there are over 1,200 missing. President Trump toured both regions hit by devastating fires with California Governor Jerry Brown and incoming Governor Gavin Newsom just yesterday. We spoke with Governor Brown after that visit, where, for the most part, politics was put aside. We asked why the fires had gotten so out of control. Well, how they started is now a subject of investigation. The conflagration occurs because uh, the brush, the vegetation is so dry and uh, the humidity is so low. And when you have the, the, and then the heat and the years of drought, that gets it going. And in Paradise, there were a lot of buildings that also caught fire, and then they just went from one to the other. So it's a mixture of many things. And the president has talked about how our forests are managed. That's an element. But there's also the way the houses are built, the materials, uh, what kind of vegetation is around. And then there's also uh, the changing climate and the increasing drought and the lowered uh, humidity and water vapor. All of that is combining to create the tragic situation that we saw today in both Northern California and here in Southern California. As you say, the president did acknowledge that he said climate change might be a factor a little bit, but he primarily blamed forest management as the cause here. Is California to blame here for its own problems? Well, uh, where paradise is, of course, is surrounded by federally uh, managed land. These are national forests. They're not uh, state parks, and they're not private property uh, by Californians. So it is the federal government. And uh, the, the fact is 
that uh, managing the forests is part of it. They're a lot denser than they were uh, 200 years ago. Uh, but on top of that, we have this five-year drought. We have in, in, uh, reduced rainfall. We have the dryness that turns uh, vegetation and bushes and houses and trees into literally into timber. So it's ready to explode. So there, there's an atmospheric uh, element, uh, which is part of the natural cycle. And then there is an increasing effect of climate change. In fact, I have read specifically peer-reviewed scientific articles that say that the amount of, of land uh, burnt in California over the last 15 years has doubled because of climate change. Did you make that so case to President we, Trump? We, uh, I certainly raised it, but I didn't feel that uh, that was where we needed to go. We need the money, we need federal help, and we need a collaborative and cooperative spirit, and we're getting that. But I did say that we're going to look at all the elements that uh, are causing these fires over time, and uh, we're going to work in a way to let science be our guide. And the president in no way uh, negated that, so I uh, decided to go for an opening, and I think over the next months and years, you'll see the science becoming crystal clear, and uh, even the folks in Washington that are now more in the, the denialist camp are going to come around. You did say there that federal well, funds were coming. Did President Trump assure you that he's not going to cut funding as he had threatened to do? Yes. So that's a big, big win. Uh, the president not only has signed a presidential declaration uh, giving California substantial funding, but he uh, said and pledged very specifically to, to continue to help us, that he's got our back. And I thought that was a very positive thing. And there have been some back and forth between California leaders and the president. But in this, in the face of tragedy, people tend to, to rise above uh, some of their, uh, their lesser uh, uh, propensities. So I think we're on a good path, uh, but it's still going to be difficult because the only way to assure the long-term uh, forest health is not just, uh, you know, cutting trees. It's going to require mm -hmm. reducing carbon emissions and eventually, sooner rather than later, to zero. And if we don't do that, you're going to see these fires uh, not only continuing, but getting worse by the year as they are. The last five years, mm -hmm. the fires have never been this bad. This fire in Malibu is the worst they've ever seen. This fire in in uh, paradise in Northern California was the worst in the history of California. So, yeah, you can uh, uh, mull the science, but I'll tell you, every year it's going to get clearer and clearer so that I think in less than five years, even the worst skeptics are going to be believers. What about the human toll? As we said, a thousand unaccounted for. Do you believe that number is going to continue to rise? I don't think it's going to be uh, a thousand. I don't know that for sure, but... Uh, we think, by the way the numbers are gathered, that, that that's high. But look, uh, there are narrow streets. These fires were going at, and I can't even believe it, but I'll repeat what the fire people told me. Fires were moving uh, a football length, mm -hmm. 100 yards a second. And uh, the roads were very narrow. So there was no way for a lot of these people to get out. And some of them were backed up, cars blocking the road, three hours to move a few miles. Uh, so that's another thing. If you're going to live this close to the forest, if the climate is going to keep changing, mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have to build some kind of underground shelters so that you can go in and protect yourself, not by going three or four miles, but by going, you know, 30 or 40 feet. That's a pretty stark image, uh, Governor. Uh, tell me about what's happening now with the air quality, which we understand is very toxic in some cities like San Francisco. And do you have a, a sense of the damage being caused by that and the economic hit to your state? Well, first of all, I like to look at my weather app. I look at it a couple times a day. I never saw on the weather app until yesterday uh, air hazardous to health. And then in in other cities, I saw very unhealthful air, and then unhealthful air, and then air, uh, air unhealthful to sensitive people. Those categories I never saw before. So, yeah, this is bad stuff. It's temporary. So, it, in some ways, it's far less than Beijing or Shanghai, and far less than Los Angeles was in the 50s. So, uh, it's not good, uh, but for a few days, uh, we'll get through it. And the economic hit? 
Well, the economic impact is devastating. So, yeah, the, 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 the devastation is, 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 at the human level is, is horrific and, and hard to find words to describe. And economically, yes, this is going to cost tens of billions. That's what it's going to cost before yeah. we get finished. Governor, thank you very much. I know you've got a lot of work ahead of you. Appreciate you making time. Well, thank you. Thank you. We turn now to the news that the CIA has determined that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman personally ordered the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul joins us now from Bowling Green. Uh, Senator, the president says a final conclusion will be made this week by the U.S. government. But in a Fox interview, uh, he indicated that essentially murder can be forgiven if the kingdom provides economic benefit. Listen to this exchange. What if the crown prince, speaking to you, the president of the United States, directly yeah. lied to you about well, that? He told me that he had nothing to do with it. He told me that, I would say, maybe five times at different points. But what if he's lying? As recently as a few days ago. Do you just live with it because you need him? Well, will anybody really know? All right. Will anybody really know? But he did have certainly people that were reasonably close to him and close to him that were probably involved. You saw we put on very heavy sanctions, massive sanctions on a large group of people from Saudi Arabia. But at the same time, uh, we do have an ally, and I want to stick with an ally that in many ways has been very good. What do you make of the president's remarks? Well, you know, the crown prince, uh, his brother, uh, made a phone call to Khashoggi, the dissident that was killed and dismembered. And that phone call was to tell Khashoggi, hey, it's fine. You can go to the consulate. No one will harm you. Well, you know, we have the crown prince's brother making that phone call. I think we have other intelligence that may link brother's phone calls back to the crown prince. I think the evidence is overwhelming that the crown prince was involved. And so, no, I don't think we can sweep this under the rug. The thing about sanctions is that I think sanctions are pretending to do something without really doing anything. Most of these people are in prison other than the crown prince. But the crown prince runs the country and we deal with him. If we put sanctions on people who are in prison, are we really doing anything to punish them? They're already in prison. We need to punish who ordered this, who's in charge. And really, the only thing they understand over there is strength. I think they will see sanctions as weakness on the part of the president. And if the president wants to act strongly, he should cut off the arms sale not only because of the killing, but until they stop bombing civilian populations. Mm -hmm. Secretary Pompeo told Saudi Arabia three weeks ago, stop bombing civilian populations. Since then, Saudi Arabia has bombed cities 200 times. They're not listening. You're talking They're about indiscriminately in Yemen. bombing civilians. It, yes, you're talking Yemen. about in Yemen. I should point out Saudi Arabia disputes the reporting that there is a there was a phone call between Prince Khalid uh, and uh, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, they say that's just not true. But uh, given the CIA assessment overall uh, that says there was a role, do you think this needs to trigger some other kind of change in policy? You're on the Senate Foreign yeah. Relations Committee. Are you going to try to block right. the appointment of the appointed ambassador? Realize the Saudis have told us a lot of things that were untrue. They told us it was a fist fight that went bad. They right. told us he was alive. They had a body double there to try to trick people into believing he was still alive. So the Saudis have been duplicitous since the very beginning. Do we need to do more? Yes. But at the very least, we need to quit selling arms to people who lie to us. The president says that that's exactly why, though. Those arms sales are exactly why uh, the relationship is important, and he's not going to hurt the economic benefits. Yeah, Here's my point. The arms sales don't make us safer. They make us less safe. When we sell arms to a foreign country, it should not ever be for jobs. It should be for our national security. The Saudis involving us in their war in Yemen is a disaster. 17 million people live on the edge of starvation. If we get involved in another civil war in the Middle East, that's not good for our national Can security. That just drains our natural resources. It, yeah, I'd quit arming the Saudis. The Saudis are bombing but to the tune in of Congress, tens of thousands of bombs in Yemen. Is there anything you can do? Because the president says he's going to continue selling. Right, yeah. I've introduced resolution after resolution to stop selling arms. We've done it twice, and it's a privileged resolution, meaning they can't prevent me from getting a vote. Mm -hmm. First time, I got 20-something votes. The second time, with the help of a Democrat senator, Chris Murphy, we got 47 votes. 
If we have another vote, I think we could almost get to a veto-proof majority. But guess what? They're not bringing any arms sales up right now because right. they know we might beat them. What about uh, the ambassador who's been nominated here, General John Abizade? You going to vote to confirm him? I want to meet with him, and I don't think that that really, my first impulse is not that's not the way to sort of uh, punish Saudi Arabia by blocking an ambassador. I'm a big believer in dialogue, and even with this, I wouldn't stop trading oil with Saudi Arabia, but mm-hmm. I would stop selling them arms. That's the first thing I would do. That doesn't disrupt trade, doesn't diplo- disrupt diplomacy. It just sends them a very strong mes- message. We're not going to keep fueling your, uh, your war in mm-hmm. Yemen, which is a total disaster. And everybody's saying there's no military solution, and yet nobody's willing to do anything that would actually force Saudi Arabia to stop the war. If we were not not refueling, if we were not providing spare parts for their American-made planes, the war would be over in a matter of months because you have to have a continuous supply of spare parts and people to repair your planes and train your pilots. If we quit doing that, Saudi Arabia would quit bombing them within three or four months. I want to get you on domestic policy. The president has uh, put forward a a proposal that has some bipartisan support on criminal justice reform. Uh, There's no guarantee it's going to be put to vote in the lame duck session. And some of your fellow Republicans like Tom Cotton say this is just about letting felons out of jail. How do you respond? You know, I've been... I've been working on criminal justice reform with Republicans and Democrats for six or seven years. I met with President Obama several times on this, bipartisan groups. We have a real chance to pass this now. With President Trump being in favor of of, uh, this criminal justice reform, he came out publicly for it. Really, it only depends on one senator now. If Senator Mitch McConnell from my home state will allow a vote, it gets 65 to 70 votes in the Senate. It'll be one of the most popular things to ever pass. Is it a jailbreak? No, it's saying people that have, you know, a nonviolent drug offense that we don't keep them in jail for life. It's saying that 95 percent of people that get out of prison, Mm -hmm. when they get out of prison, do we want them to keep committing crimes or we should train them for jobs? Should we use programs to try to test whether or not we can teach people not to recommit crimes? And really, do nonviolent people need to be in jail sometimes for life? We should reevaluate this. So how do you force a vote? You're running out of time here. Well, it's all up to one person. Senator McConnell has the ability to call any vote he wants to any time. He has promised in the past that he would allow this vote if there was popularity for it. President Trump's behind it. In my state, 86% of the people You're suggesting he's choosing this. not to. The fraternal order of police, fraternal order of police are behind it. 2,000 pastors, and I, I didn't get your follow-up. So it, it seems you're suggesting uh, that he does not want to. There have been some articles. I haven't talked to him directly mm-hmm. about it. The last time I talked to him about it, he said he was open to allowing a vote after the election. Okay. Now, with the President Trump all in on this, I really hope we can get a vote. But it's really up to Senator McConnell. Uh, but it's very, very popular in Kentucky and very, very popular with people who support President Trump. So I hope he allows a vote. We will watch for that. Thank you very much, Senator Paul. Thank you. We will be back in one minute with a lot more Face the Nation. Don't go away. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the sleep number store. Because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a sleep number bed. Sleep number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number.
We're back with Maryland's Elijah Cummings. He is the top Democrat on the Oversight and Government Reform Committee, the chief investigative committee in the House, and he is joining us from Baltimore this morning. Uh, Congressman, welcome to Face the Nation. I want to ask you what the president said this morning on uh, Fox News uh, in an interview with Chris Wallace. He said that the uh, acting attorney general, Matthew Whitaker, has the power to block any subpoena request from the special counsel to the president. The president suggested that he's done answering questions questions. Um, and now that the investigation he seems to be suggesting is coming to an end, does Congress have anything to do to protect the integrity of the, of the probe itself, given some of these past public statements uh, by the acting attorney general that have drawn that into question? Well, I am extremely concerned about the acting attorney general. I question whether or not uh, it was actually a legitimate appointment since he's not been confirmed by the Senate. Um, but uh, we, we're going to look into to all of this. Um, uh, I, again, can, with can him being refusal? in there, uh, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think that we, I don't know that we have that power. Um, but we're going to certainly uh, look at every angle. But I'm hoping that, the, that uh, I would love to see him recuse himself uh, because I think the things that he has said about uh, defunding the special probe uh, and the many things that he has uh, talked about with regard to his opinion, a negative opinion with regard to special counsel in the process, uh, I don't think that he's the proper person to be in that position. And I, and any, and, but again, I think almost anything he does in that, in the position of the interim uh, may very well be tainted because we're not clear, it's not clear that he is a legitimate appointment to that position. If the Mueller probe continues to its conclusion, which the president has said he, he at this point, won't interfere, um, will you, if you do take the chairmanship of House Oversight and have the subpoena power that goes with it, will you force Mueller's findings to be made public if the Department of Justice decides not to release them? I would love to see it be, become public because basically in this last election, what the public has said is that they want accountability and they want transparency. And uh, they have paid for a, an investigation by one of our greatest public servants, Mr. Mueller, uh, Special Counsel Mueller. And so I would do anything and everything in my power to have the, the findings uh, presented to not only to the Congress, but to the people of the United States. I think it's very important. If you take this chairmanship, what's your top priority? Where do you begin? Well, first of all, we've got to make sure that we do those things that are important to the American people. Um, things such as voting rights. We just saw what happened down there in, uh, in Georgia and in Florida. We, we, we cannot have a country where people are being blocked from voting. Uh, we also want to look at pre-existing conditions, things of that nature, to make sure that people are protected in, in regard to the, that. We also want to look at the census. A lot of people are surprised about that, but the census is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And what we do with regard to the census will affect us for the next 10 to 12 years. Uh, and, and, and it will affect every single person in this country. Another area is postal. Uh, our postal system uh, has had some economic problems. We have legislation that could actually cure those problems. We want to move that forward. So we're going to be doing that. But at the same time, we're going to address the issue that, that, that a lot of people are concerned about and making sure that government is doing what government is supposed to do for all of the American people. Uh, we may not have been elected by all the people as Democrats, but we must govern all the people uh. in a fair way. As I mentioned, you are expected to have that powerful position on House oversight. But overall, when it comes to leadership right now, there are some questions about whether there is enough black leadership at the top uh, of the Democratic uh, Party. I mean, if Pelosi and Hoyer um, are, are successful at remaining speaker and leader, is Jim Clyburn enough? Do you need to see more? Uh, I think, first of all, you got to understand, we have... Uh, all of us are leaders. Yes. Uh, and so, but we could only have one speaker at a time. Nancy Pelosi has simply been a phenomenal. Um, and she has been one 
who has been, she believes in the inclusion revolution. She has probably the most diverse uh, leadership team uh, that in, his, in the history of any uh, legislative body as far as the Congress is concerned. And she has, she has fought mm-hmm. hard to make sure that people like Maxine Waters and Bobby Scott right. and other members of the Congressional Black Caucus are supported. So, um, uh, and as far as Jim Clyburn is concerned, he's a phenomenal leader. And so, uh, we, you know, okay. it, we're going to be fine. I know that there are people who are talking a lot of talk, yeah. but the fact is, is that Nancy Pelosi is a phenomenal woman, a phenomenal speaker, and a phenomenal leader. She'll be fine. Okay, Congressman, thank you very much. We'll be back in a moment with Thank a lot you. more Face the Nation. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading. And so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com slash save for 40% off. Legacybox.com slash save. 12 days after the midterm elections, we still don't know the exact makeup of the House and Senate. Votes are still being counted. What we do know is there are a record number of women and veterans. We turn now to Iowa Senator Joni Ernst, who has joined the Republican leadership team as the conference vice chairwoman in the new Congress. Good to see you in person. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. It's great to be with you. The president gave an interview this morning to Fox's Chris Wallace, and he mm-hmm. said that Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen needs to be much tougher on the border. What is she doing wrong? Well, I think that uh, she has done a good job. I think the president is just very frustrated, of course, with what we see at the border. We do have a large number of of immigrants that are trying to get over the border illegally. And we do need to make sure that we've got plenty of surveillance, that we have plenty of officers ready to respond. Uh, I think her response has been well so far. We as Congress need to step forward and do the next steps. She should continue in the role? I think that she's done a good job, but of course, any of our secretaries or cabinet members serve at the pleasure of the president. It's entirely up to him who serves in those positions. Your vet, is deploying 6,000 troops to the border a good use of resources? Well, I, again, up to the president and, of course, those governors that are involved, if they're National Guard You're soldiers. You're armed services. You have if, a voice. If they are active duty soldiers, um, it does actually provide them an opportunity for real live training in their roles. Many of them, if they serve in logistics type positions, they will actually be doing those missions on the border. So it is a very good skill as someone who has commanded troops, um, both in peacetime and in wartime, to make sure that they keep their skills sharp. And so when they do deploy, they are in harm's way overseas. They know exactly how to support the, the men and women on the front lines. That's how you see. I know uh, General Madison said, Secretary Madison said, they won't even have any contact with people coming across the border. Exactly. But they will be utilized in the roles. Like I said, many of them may be logistics professionals serving Mm -hmm. in our armed services. And then it gives them greater opportunity to respond quickly in those types of situations, whether they are supporting with um, food or uh, body armor, whatever it might be for Border Patrol agents. Mm -hmm. It allows those Border Patrol agents to actually focus on the law enforcement duties. Uh, As we introduce you, you were the first female senator to be in a leadership position of the GOP in a decade. Mm -hmm. But the number of women, Republican women in the House is at a 24-year low. We have never seen a Republican woman in the House or Senate in uh, the whip leader or speaker positions. Now, Mm -hmm. from these midterm results, we're seeing female voters breaking from the party. Does the Republican Party have a problem with women? 
Well, I think we need to encourage more women to run for office. I think we really can do much better in that area and then encourage them to seek responsibilities as leaders. So I was really, really uh, honored to be elected into our Republican leadership in the Senate. We have to have quality candidate candidates out there and, again, encourage them to run. Um, we need was that to be- the problem in the primaries that you saw where some women were running but not winning? Well, well is, it the, is the issue with Republican men not voting I, for Republican I would say candidates. that part of that really is that we need to connect with our constituencies. We need to make sure that our voices are being heard. So whether it is focusing on health care priorities, whether it is focusing on a national paid family leave opportunity for men and for women, um, whatever those messages are, we need to communicate those and make sure that we are being heard when our constituents go to the polls. Will you be doing anything to recruit more women? Certainly. I, I do a visit with a number of women, and I talk to Republican women. I see Democratic women when I'm in Iowa as well. And if they have a passion, if they believe in public service, I always encourage them to run. Uh, if that's their desire to serve the people of their, their potential district, we want them to step up and make their voices heard. You don't think the president's rhetoric or what happened during the 2016 election is turning away women from the party overall, voters or candidates? I think that we could do a better job of communicating clearly that we support women. And uh, that's something that I try and do. I try and set a very strong example for uh, women that want to run for office, women that wish to serve in the military, whatever it might be. We need to set a good example. Women primarily, men secondarily, we need to step up and make sure that we are supporting the needs of our constituents. Uh, I want to ask you about something that really impacts your home state. Uh, The vice president said today, and he's in Asia, that the U.S. is not in a rush to end this trade dispute with China, suggesting that things might not get resolved when President Xi and Trump sit down uh, in just a few weeks. There was a $12 billion bailout for farmers Mm -hmm. to help alleviate some of this pain. Mm -hmm. Will you need another one? Mm-hmm. I am hopeful that we will not need another um, subsidy program for our farmers. Our farmers would much rather grow their goods and make sure that they are getting out to the rest of the world. Absolutely. But I've done a number of farmer roundtables all across the state of Iowa. And at the last one I held, the very last speaker, a, a middle-aged farmer, he, he stood up and said, I understand why President Trump is doing this. However, what I don't understand is why someone didn't do it sooner. So they understand. The pain is tolerable for now. The pain is tolerable for now. I want to see these trade deals done. I'd rather see them done sooner rather than later. But we have to get a good deal with China or it's Mm -hmm. all for naught. Senator, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure. We'll be back with a panel of some of the new House members. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. There will be dozens of new faces on Capitol Hill next year when Congress convenes, including our next four guests, all incoming members of the House of Representatives, who each bring a unique perspective here to Washington. Democrat Joe Neguse is Colorado's first black congressman. His parents came to this country from Eritrea as refugees more than 35 years ago. He's also a new father of a baby girl. Congrats on that. Democrat Deb Holland of New Mexico is one of the first two Native American women elected to Congress. She's also a single mother. 
Republican Dan Crenshaw of Texas is a retired Navy SEAL who fought in Afghanistan. He may also be the first representative elect to appear on Saturday Night Live. At least a member. <laughs> and Democrat Chrissy Huland of Pennsylvania is a former captain in the Air Force, a former chemistry teacher, and she is also a mother of two. So you ladies know something about multitasking here. A lot of Americans, when you talk to them, seem to have lost faith in Congress. In fact, the approval rating CBS News just took was at 19 percent. What made you run? You know, look, I was very concerned about the direction that our country was taking. Um, As you mentioned, my parents were Eritrean immigrants to this country, and we've been able to live the American dream. And the freedoms and the opportunities that have enabled us to live the American dream in every sense of that phrase, I felt like we're slipping away for a lot of Americans in our country. And so decided that uh, I would try to do something about it and threw my hat in the ring. Congresswoman? Yes, well... (laughs) elect Thank you, thank you. Well, of course, um, this is an important job. It's an important job for my district in New Mexico. Um, I wanted to feel like I could help more people. Um, The constituent services program that we're all responsible for, I think, is extremely important for our districts, and uh, that's absolutely one of the reasons that I decided to run. What about you, Congressman-elect? Well... You know, I was in the military for 10 years. I took an oath to the Constitution uh, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that oath has not ended. So it's really about service. It's about service and it's about impact. You know, how can I impact the, the issues that matter to my constituents? You know, we're still reeling from Hurricane Harvey. We want more individual freedom. We want less government in our lives. We want to live that American dream. And, and those are things we can actually agree on. And um, that's what I'll be fighting for. So when you hear that there's an approval rating of just 19 percent, you think you can do better than that? I I hope so. Is is that an improvement? (laughs) It might be an improvement. I thought it was lower at one point. I understand that's the case. And, and, you know, the the military has has long brought a lot of credibility to American institutions. I hope to bring some of that credibility to Congress. You know, the way we do that is we talk to each other like we're actually people. Let's not attack each other's intents. Let's not attack each other as a person. Let's attack ideas. All right, we can debate ideas. We can disagree on ideas all day long. Let's find the things that we actually agree upon and work on those. Are you equally as optimistic, Congresswoman-elect? Well, so I, I share a lot of commonalities with my fellow colleagues in terms of why I'm running. I'm third-generation military. My dad and grandfather served careers, and I did as well. Uh, served as a captain in the Air Force. And as a third-generation military member, I am deeply concerned about the democracy right now. I'm worried about the direction that we're heading as a people. I'm similarly interested in making sure that we maintain uh, civility and decency with one another in the way that we treat each other and the way that our government works. And personally, uh, my motivation for running is, is one of service. I want to continue the service that I've done both in the military and also growing good and strong businesses and most recently in education as, as, a, as a teacher and also as a nonprofit leader in early childhood literacy. The district that you were elected in, you flipped it. Yes. Red to blue. Yes. But you've described it as more purple. Yes. Uh, It's a mix of people of different convictions here. How do you balance those forces? And does that mean that, as a Democrat, you're willing to work with President Trump? Absolutely. We are a district that's 40 percent Democrat, 40 percent Republican and 20 percent independent. And I I call uh, us purple people because I believe that we are. I believe largely that we sit in the middle. And what we're looking for is head and heart issues. One of the more divisive issues is immigration. It's also uh, what President Trump says he wants to tackle. Obviously, there are different views on how to do that. But, uh, Congresswoman-elect, you're in a very unique position as uh, one of only two Native American women elected to Congress. How do you think that affects your approach on things like immigration? Sure, sure. Well, uh, New Mexico's a border state, so um, we, we actually feel confident about the security of our borders in New Mexico. Um, we, um, New Mexico as a whole was appalled when the policy to separate children from their parents happened on the border. Uh, it made me immediately think about uh, governmental policies uh, back when my grandmother was a child and she was separated from her family and taken to Indian boarding school. So um, it seems like uh, at some point we need to look at our history and stop uh, doing the things that are harmful to our children 
and work toward uh, finding solutions that are absolutely humane. Uh, you would I, work with President Trump. Well, I, I think we all have to do it together. We're uh, the Democrats won back the House. We didn't win back the Senate or the presidency yet. So we do have to work across the aisle to make sure that we can get things passed. Yes. Congressman-elect, you, you are a vet. Um, you mentioned your service. How do you feel about the deployment of uh, U.S. troops, U.S. personnel to the border? Is that the yeah. right way to be using the U.S. military? Well, what they're using them for is, is logistical support. You know, they're not, there, they're not down there as, as combat troops stopping people from crossing the border. They're not the actually border. at that, the border. That, that's, that's, that's not what's actually happening. Right. What's actually happening is they're, they're, they're reinforcing the law enforcement that is there to do their job. You know, the reality is, is I, what I want to, the, the question I always have to Democrats is, do we agree that our borders should be secure, yes or no? I understand you don't like the wall. I understand that. But can we agree that the border should be secured? And if you have other ideas to, to, to secure that border, and especially in Texas, we are willing to listen because I mean, we have a river along the border. We can't always put a wall there. We get that. You know, we've got other options as well. So will you work with us? But in terms on- of using the U.S. military mm-hmm. in that role, essentially... You know, we have a border patrol that has the job that you just laid out that the military is now. Well, right. But there was also thousands and thousands of people coming up to the border in a caravan. And so you have to take different measures to do that. So you you do see that as a threat, even though they're on foot and not at the border yet. Well, What's the other option to just let them cross? Because we don't have enough law enforcement officials to deal with that, possibly. So, you know, again, we're not putting combat troops on the border. That's not what's happening. We are dealing with this in a very humane way, and as I think we should, and we can all agree on that for sure. None of us really like seeing families separated. I've said that all along. That's, that's the last thing we want to see. Republicans tried to put legislation forward that would stop that, okay, and we would continue to do that. Um, but, but, yes, if, if, if it's between letting people across and not letting people across, we have to secure our border. And I, and I, and I hear that we agree on that a lot. I do. And I, and I understand the Democrats don't like the rhetoric and we don't like the wall. I, I absolutely get that. But I want to see other options on the table then and what we can do to actually secure it. He's I, comfortable using U.S. troops in that way, are you? No. No. I think it's the wrong approach. I think it's imprudent. I disagree with it. And I think the other option is to follow existing law and let folks go through the asylum process and to the extent that they are able to successfully claim asylum. I, I say this as the son of refugees. I mean, I, I think immigrants to this country have so much to give, and it's important we get this right. Will the Democrats at the table vote for any kind of immigration reform that includes funding for a border wall? I wouldn't. No, I don't support I a wall. I as well. And I'm also the daughter of a refugee. Uh, my dad was a survivor of the Holocaust and came here with his mom uh, as a very small child, as a five-year-old. And this is a very personal issue to me. Let me take a break here and come back. We talked about finding agreement. We've already found a disagreement. Let's see what, what else we can, we can get to. Got there pretty quick. After this short break, we will be back in a moment with more from our panel. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. We're back with our new member panel, and let's pick up the conversation. I know the two of you, both vets, have made a vow to try to find at least one point of agreement that you can legislate around. Do you know what that's going to be? I think there's multiple points. Yep. So, I mean, opioids, yep. infrastructure issues. You know, we have different infrastructure issues around the country, but you know, for us, it's flood yep. mitigation. Uh, opioid right. epidemic is, is terrible. You know, you know more op- more people died of opioids last year than the entire Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. just the reality. Mm-hmm. And um, but is there anything that you particularly want to shepherd here? 
Well, I, I agree. Infrastructure and a, a big infrastructure bill. Absolutely. Uh, opioids is an enormous problem in our community as well. Pharmaceutical prescription prices, I think, is something that we need to look at. We have to look at. And another thing I would bring up is workforce training mm-hmm. issues. You know, there's mm-hmm. 7 million job openings, which mm-hmm. is a great problem to have. We've got a great economy. Yep. Um, but we need middle skill labor to fill those jobs. I want to ask the Democrats at the table about your own leadership, your own party identity. I know you, Congresswoman-elect, have said you will support Nancy Pelosi to be speaker. Yes. The two of you, did you learn anything this week? Did she earn your votes and your support? Well, so I'd say I just want one quick uh, tangent. Criminal justice reform oh, is also another. Oh, you're deflecting. I, no, I, no I will answer. <laughs> I will answer the question. But, well, but, it's, but it's a really it's important yes. issue where there's some emerging bipartisan consensus from Republicans and Democrats. I think, I think so that's great. I'm passionate about that. No, I, look, I, it's fascinating to me that it's the question that we got most often, at least the Democrats did, mm-hmm. um, here during orientation, uh, which is particularly interesting since there's no other candidate that I'm aware of that's running against right. Leader Pelosi. I intend to support her. Uh, you know, I think that it's important that we have steady leadership right now. Um, And I found it uh, pretty heartening over the course of the last week, some of the developments around uh, it becoming clear that this leadership team uh, is going to work to try to make sure that everyone has a seat at the table. You saw um, a message from Leader Pelosi's office by way of example around making sure that there is progressive representation on uh, key committees in the Congress and Mm -hmm. the Congressional Progressive Caucus leaders uh, endorsing her shortly thereafter. So, So, yeah, that's where I am. Is that what changed your mind, the pledge to a diversity council? That, among many other things, I wanted to have conversations with the existing leadership and also with my fellow freshmen, you know, fellow classmates, to talk to them about their vision for the caucus, their vision for the future, and, and ultimately that's where I landed. Do you know how you'll vote yet? Right now, she's the only person who's running, so it would appear as though that's where my vote would go. And right now, I believe that she's a, um, an effective person in that job. And so, but you're open to being swayed. I believe right now it looks as though it's heading in the direction that she will be our speaker. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think she's a pretty powerful person and capable person. Uh, Congressman-elect, you, during your run, uh, were backed by Bernie Sanders. Um, Do you think he represents the future of your party I think we're a big tent party. I mean, if... if but he's a more progressive voice within it. Of course. And, you know, there are also many other voices. And many of our freshmen that we spent this week with um, come from different areas of the country, different regions of the country. Obviously, I, you know, am a progressive Democrat and, and believe that we should be bold uh, in pushing for some really comprehensive solutions around some of the pressing public policy challenges that we face, climate change and the planetary crisis being the best example, perhaps. Um, but look, again, we are a big tent party. We are inclusive. We are diverse. I think that's a good thing. So I I appreciate his voice, just as I do the Mm -hmm. voice of many, many other leaders in the party um, who are all stepping up to the plate at a really critical time for our democracy. You know, but Republicans learned this when they had sort of an insurgent group, the Tea Party, right, that it can, while being part of a bigger tent, cause problems for leadership or at least, uh, you know, try to create some issues around finding consensus. Do you see that happening for Democrats? Do, do progressives now become the problem for Nancy Pelosi rather than part uh, of the caucus really on the same page? No, I don't think that's the case. I've only been in Washington for five days. so. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, my experience thus far, and, and I think Deb can touch yeah, on this I, as well as a member of the Progressive Caucus, but no, I don't think that's the case. I think we are all working together, rowing in the same direction, trying to save our democracy, to be frank. And so... Why do you uh, say save our democracy? Well, look, I think that right now uh, it's important for this majority in the House to ex- engage in some really critical oversight of an administration um, that is undermining a lot of critical freedoms for folks in our country. And so when I say save our democracy, I, I mean precisely that, that I think some of our democratic freedoms and the principles that we live by um, have been under attack for the better part of the last two years. Congressman-elect, do you want to respond to that since the president has, is the leader of your party? Yeah. Well, I, I always ask the question, like, like what? You know, like, what is he undermining exactly? Like, you know, what, what democratic freedoms have been undermined? We just had an election where we switched, switched power in the House, Democracy is at work. People are voting in, in, in record numbers. Um, I, I always ask for examples, and then we can hit those examples one by one. And if it's and if it's worth criticizing, it's worth criticizing. But just kind of this broad brush criticism that the president is somehow undermining our democracy. I always wonder like, what exactly we're talking I'll about. Be happy I'll, to, I'll, I'll be happy to add all of the I'm things ha- that he's I'm happy to give an example. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. the undermining of the freedom of the free of press, right. you know, judiciary, CIA, FBI, the voting process. Obama indicted, had many press members under investigation. Trump is not. So what is the difference here? So what is the difference here? Just this last week, 
one of the largest media publications in the United States, right, had to go to a federal court in order to essentially uh, regain access no, to the press reporter. room. One reporter, I, I, not, the whole, not the whole organization. including CBS, did file amicus That's briefs right. in support. Yeah, so, I, I mean, again, I think we obviously would be, it's part of much larger Because he was disruptive. But, well... <laughs> Again, I, I, I would argue that our president disagreed. is consistently so. disruptive in those very same press conferences. And I would argue that he <laughs> how treats that, them with How is that an disrespect. attack on the press, though? Be- because it's literally an attack oh, on the I've press. I've literally been attacked, his, so his, I, 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 his, let's choose his, our words carefully. His language is an attack. Okay, so why can't cases. he speak? Why, why is he not allowed to use his own language and freedom of speech? Because, you, and you talked about this, actually, it's important that we lead from example, that we lead from the top. And the way that our you, president is I, I agree with leading. you there. I agree with you there. Style is one thing. If you want to criticize style, I'm with you, right? But to say it's an attack on the freedom of the press, that is a very bold statement. By calling the press the enemy of the people, uh, yeah, I don't that, like that is language. literally Okay, so the style, not, I, I, I agree, and, I don't like that language. fake news, of course. Yeah. Yes. And I'll give you another example. His um, rhetoric about... Uh, erasing trans people in our country. That, uh, to me... He's never said that. Well, it uh, it appears that he is discriminating against the LGBTQ community, and uh, I think that's uh, troublesome. I think it's worrisome. Uh, We all have uh, communities in... I mean, across this country, and um, I mean, and we mentioned it at the beginning, ripping children away from their parents' arms. Those are all things that worry me, uh, that I absolutely feel that we have to have well, how oversight about just, on. you know, so maligning the CIA and the yeah. FBI and the State Department and all of those important institutions that are but, fundamental to how our democracy so works. What, what I hear a lot is you don't like what he says and sometimes, okay, but and you don't like the... You do, we have policy I, I, disagreements, I, but you're saying undermining democracy. And I, am, and, and I, want, to, I want to caution us because those are very bold words. If we have policy disagreements, let's focus on those policy disagreements. I'll be happy to discuss those at any point. But this is what I've been getting at kind of all week, which is we tend to, we tend to go right at the jugular, right? We say you're undermining democracy or bad person fundamentally. That's not always true. We have policy disagreements on a lot of these things. I think it's interesting that we talked about some of the most divisive issues, including immigration. But the thing that set all of you off was the president. We have to leave the conversation there. Thank you so much. Good luck to you in your new work and your new jobs. That's it for us today. Thanks for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were California Democratic Governor Jerry Brown, Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul, Maryland Democratic Congressman Elijah Cummings, Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst, and GOP representative-elect Dan Crenshaw, Democratic representatives-elect Joe Neguse, Deb Holland, and Chrissy Houlihan. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow the show and CBS News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus, starting May 1st.